In this episode of the Constructing Differences podcast, I'm interviewing Shannon Finnegan. Shannon Finnegan is a disabled multidisciplinary artist who works to interrogate access and ableism. Finnegan practices artistic interventions such as the Anti-Stairs Lounge to protest inaccessible sites and to advocate for spaces of rest. Finnegan's work has been featured at the Banff Center, the High Line, Tallinn Art Hall, Nook Gallery, and many more. Thank you, Shannon, for being here with me today. Would you like to begin by telling me a little bit about yourself and your work? Um, yeah, my name is Shannon Finnegan. Um, I use they, them pronouns. I think of myself primarily as an artist. Um, I'm disabled. Um, and yeah, over the past, I guess, eight or so years, my work has centered on disability and both my own embodied experience and also collaboration and um, thinking about cross-disability solidarity with other disabled collaborators and colleagues and friends. Great. One of the uh, projects that I know you did was the Anti-Stairs Club Lounge at the Vessel and the Vessel was something that was built pretty recently within the last couple of years, a huge topic of conversation in architecture and also in any other kind of field of study. Um, You talk about ideas of public space, um, pushing disabled people to be in the public eye and also this idea of erasure with the design of the vessel. And I know on your website, I think it says, while the vessel does not have an elevator, the elevator is not an equipable means of experience to experience the structure. What do you think is the impact of spatial sequencing for one's experience of space? Can you tell me more what you mean by spatial sequencing? Spatial sequencing, I think, is that process of going through um, the vessel, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think the vessel is confusing because it's different than other built spaces and and I think a lot of times when I'm talking to people about the vessel and its elevator they're thinking of other buildings where you take an elevator up to a level and then you are able to move around on that level you can get back on the elevator and move to another level and move around Um, but the Vessel is this series of platforms that, so each level there are stairs up and down. Um, So I think one way that was really helpful for me in understanding it is that there's 80 platforms and I think three of them are accessible via the elevator, but the way that the elevator was running, it was actually only going to one. So one of 80 platforms was accessible. So just thinking about the kind of scale of the space, like one of 80 parts of the structure is just extremely limited. Um, And I think the other thing is just, and this is something that Kevin Gotkin's research helped me understand, which is just like the narrative around the vessel. Like when all of the kind of materials, the way Thomas Heatherwick was talking about it is about this idea of climbing. I spent in preparation for that project, spent a lot of time like looking at promotional materials and their website and you know it's 
framed as like they were saying things like come climb with us or calling it New York staircase. Like the, the emphasis is clearly on the climbing aspect of it. Um, it wasn't like they were like, oh, come enjoy a view or something like that, which would maybe say like there's multiple ways to reach it. But that's the kind of center of the experience. So I, I think that was part of what I was thinking about in terms of the elevator in that space. And I think it mirrors a lot of what we see in terms of accessibility in other projects or, or spaces, which is this very like add-on type of approach where it's like, there's this idea, it's inaccessible. And then there's this kind of like, feels very like half-hearted attempt to do some mitigation of that. But there's still this core kind of concept that feels extremely ableist and exclusionary and that's not really touched by these like yeah little things that get added on yeah I agree the ADA like compliance idea in design washes away a lot of concerns of accessibility when it's more of a compliance approach rather than uh, initial thought in design um, what do you think the flaws of ADA are as a tool for designing for accessibility are? And do you think there are limitations of policy as a tool to implement accessibility? Yeah, I mean, I'll preface this by saying like, I, I'm not so versed in ADA law. I will say that like, as a disabled person, I feel the presence of the ADA in my daily life in both ways that are beneficial where like, I mean, I was born in 1989. So I, I think of myself as part of this ADA generation where I have had some basic rights my whole life. Um, and I don't want to like say that that's not important because I think that is, um, but a lot of times when I'm talking to people about accessibility, it's all about compliance. It's about like, how do we check the box? How do we avoid like getting in trouble? There, there's a lot of fear there, a lot of hesitancy to even like discuss inaccessibility because of um, kind of discomfort or fear. Um, <clears throat> and and yeah, I think that that's just has huge limits in terms of like what we can create together. And um, certainly I think I look towards disability justice as a model for, or a framework for something different, especially as, as kind of articulated by Sins Invalid through their um, 10 principles of disability justice. I mean, I think the, there are policy limitations in that like, um, the, the state is not gonna take care of us and um, building interdependent relationships and ways of creating access. And, and I think a lot of people who, um, like I've heard Dustin Gibson, who, who speaks a lot about um, disability justice talk about this, of, of not saying, disability justice is not saying about like a disability rights model is bad or wrong it's about kind of building and expanding and um yeah doing more and making the world uh work for work better for more disabled people mm -hmm. yeah I, I completely agree and i think that's really interesting um another 
project of yours that I think my favorite one is Do You Want Us Here or Not? I'm fascinated by the photos and I think that they're just very appealing to me and I think they're really thought-provoking ideas and I think that was the main inspiration. But I'm wondering what kind of dialogue or reactions and responses did you receive from this exhibition? Um, yeah, so I, I'll, t I'll talk a little bit about the project first. That project really came out of, yeah, I mean, I have a physical disability, so, and I, it affects my walking and my movement. So I'm like really kind of looking for places to sit as I'm moving through the world. And as an artist, I'm like often going to museums or galleries, like excited to see, um, art and other artists work. And, um, yeah, I was just noticing like, wow, there's really not a lot of seating around here or, or a lot of times it's kind of like tucked away. Like there's a bench over by the bathroom or, or something like that. Um, and I was doing some research to try to understand why that was like talking to people I know who work in museums, especially, and was hearing from some people that a lot of times it was curatorial that, um, curators are kind of like conceptualizing an exhibition and these, this idea of like um, sight lines. So like, okay, you're going to turn here and you're going to see this artwork and really like an imagining of an exhibition space without seating or places to rest. And so I was like, well, one way to, to get around that is to make the seating the artwork. And so the project's taken some different forms, but mostly kind of benches that have this text on it that says things like this exhibition has asked me to stand for too long, sit if you agree, or some of them are more open-ended that just say things like, um, I'd rather be sitting, sit if you agree, or sitting feels good right now, um, sit if you agree. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the title, Do You Want Us Here or Not, comes from this, this idea that like a lot of times when I'm talking to arts organizations or, or things like that, there is this like a lot of language about inclusion and being welcoming. And at the same time, this thing that feels like so basic and baseline to me of like having places to sit is, is not being attended to. So that's, that's where that came from. And a lot of times when I talk to people about the project, I mean, certainly when I talk to other um, disabled people, a lot of times there's this feeling of like, yes, or kind of resonance or, um, which is exciting, exciting for me when that, when those moments happen. I think when I talk to people who have power in kind of in our, our decision makers and in, in museums or galleries, like there's some recognition of the need, but I, I don't always feel like, I still feel like it's, it, there's this kind of like, okay, we can do a little more, you know, like we can put a couple benches in or something like that. And I've recently been thinking about like, yeah, how that project can like ask for even more, like push, push it. I've been really dreaming about having a, like a massaging chair in a museum or gallery space, like, or yeah, really thinking about like what, like really deluxe, like comfort or rest spaces. And, and yeah, and part of it's also because like when I do see benches in museums, it just feels like so like both like the design of the benches is about not drawing attention to itself. Like it, it, it's almost trying to be invisible and also just like the least welcoming bench 
you know, it's like often just a straight bench over and with like kind of two legs or kind of supports on the side, no back, like I haven't figured out how to make cushioning in mine yet, but I like, I would love to see more, more cushioning and foam and, and stuff like that, where it's really about like, yeah. And I think there's also even this whole other set of concerns that I've heard um, other uh, disabled artists and thinkers talk about, which is like needing to lie down in space. Like for me, sitting is important, but even having more space for that um, feels exciting as something to kind of like move towards. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about is, especially in a gallery museum space, there's so much about display and structure of the display. And when we walk through and look at these displays, I mean, it's artwork and it's meant to be appreciated. It's meant to be enjoyed over a period of time that you spend within the space. And when you need to sit down or even like the way that furniture is designed, it's designed for your body to be in a specific form, right? So like, although there's a lot of space maybe in to stand, it's not necessarily acceptable to even sit on the ground or even lay on the ground for a brief period of time to enjoy that specific artwork. I think it's really interesting. I just wanted to add to that also, like, I think it, it like goes hand in hand with these other assumptions that are being made in those spaces. Yeah. Thinking, I think a lot um, about like also the ocular centrism of those spaces and this idea that you're like, vision and sight is supposed to be this primary mode of experiencing things. And I think that's another place Mm -hmm. where it feels kind of entangled with this, this kind of seating situation of also like, there aren't ways to like touch the works. There aren't, you know, there isn't this kind of like, yeah, I mean, just in general, it feels like this very, um, designed in a very like disembodied way, or at least making a lot of assumptions about what visitors can experience and want to experience. Yeah, I agree. These initial assumptions, I think, are some of the biggest barriers to how we use um, a space. Like, I, I'm thinking of right now that image of the Capitol crawl where they're crawling up the stairs. It's like, why can't I crawl up the stairs of the MoMA? You know, and it's like um, that just assumption, I think, is part of the problem. I'm wondering what your other like primary mediums of art are and what brings you mo- the most joy about creating artwork. My background is in printmaking and drawing. So that's kind of where I started. And I think um, drawing still shows up in my practice sometimes. Like those benches have this kind of like handwritten text on them. And um, yeah, but now I feel like my... Um, practice uses a lot of different forms. I, I don't, I haven't really found language. I mean, sometimes I hear people talk about like multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary, but yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, just working in a lot of different ways, like, um, thinking about things like furniture, making furniture, something like anti-stairs club lounge at the vessel, which was almost like kind of throwing a party um or uh this project that I've done more recently about image descriptions that really takes the form of a like workshop and workbook our project is a lot of like administrative work in some ways um so it's it yeah I think it varies a lot depending on the situation 
I think I do often work in a project-based way. So like there's a kind of um, specific space or idea that I want to explore. And I often work in kind of a way that's responsive to a specific site or exhibition opportunity. Um, but yeah, in terms of what brings me the most joy, I think um, one of the things that brings me a lot of joy is just that through making art about disability, I gotten to know way more disabled people, like especially other disabled artists. And um, that's something that I felt like was really missing from my life, especially when I was growing up. And um, yeah, it's just such a pleasure to be part of what I think of as kind of like an ecosystem. I just went to an artist talk with Carolyn Lazard and Constantina Zabitzanos, and they were talking about call and response or kind of like um, reverberations between, between art projects. I just love like learning from disabled artists, feeling my own experience like articulated through the work of others um, and responding to that. And um, yeah, just being, just being connected to that community or to, to kind of like my little piece of the disability arts community. Could you talk a little bit more about the communities and the groups and networks that you're a part of? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I it's mostly kind of an informal um, network. I'm kind of like meeting people through different settings. I, I mean, one group that we continue, we have like a group chat and we continue to like hang out and over Zoom right now is my cohort of the art and disability residency organized by Art Beyond Sight. We like met over a year and had two exhibition opportunities together. And so that was like a moment where I really got to know those artists work and um, be in this kind of like extended dialogue with them. And yeah, I think it, it kind of very, it, I mean, maybe a lot of people feel this way about their work, but a lot of like kind of blurriness between like friends and colleagues and like, work events and social events and um, in a way that uh, mostly feels nice. Mm -hmm. And you also in your introduction touched a little bit on solidarity and I'm wondering what solidarity means to you and how that is, the, these ideas of solidarity might be incorporated into your work and the way that you approach these communities. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I, I mean, um, cross-disability solidarity is one of the 10 principles of disability justice um, as um, articulated by Sins Invalid and other disability justice organizers. I mean, I think just the idea that like, just because my access needs are being met or like I can participate in something like that's not enough. You know, I, I don't wanna be the, the only one. I wanna be able to bring my friends and colleagues and collaborators and, and disabled people I don't know. And, you know, and I think it's an area where I'm always, learning you know I've heard other people talk about this this that we don't necessarily like know each other's access needs or or what what works for us mm -hmm. automatically so it's it's um a process of like um kind of iteration and I think there's there's ways that I can see that in my own practice I mean certainly around like having visual arts training and 
trying to rethink my orientation to visual communication and really um, be more intentional about when and why I'm communicating visually. And um, if I am like being really proactive about making that accessible or thinking about that accessibility as core to the work, it's something where I often catch myself um, still like defaulting to thinking visually and things like that. And that's just one example of like many um, types of things like that. And yeah, so I think of it as something that's like very important to me, something that is similar to what we were talking about, about compliance. It's like, I'm not, it's not going to be like, oh, I'm, I'm done. I figure that out. It's like a, a process and constantly um, changing and evolving. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm someone who also operates very visually based on just my field of study. Everything is me seeing is how I perceive. And something that was brought up to me is like, on Zoom, for example, you can get like closed captioning and also other tools that um, you could also integrate into your work that could be of assistance to other people who don't operate the same way and are less reliant on visuals. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I think that um, over time and through learning and through listening and through just practice, we can begin to think a little bit more broadly and less you know, centered on what my needs are and your needs are, you know, I guess as a kind of concluding question and topic, what are you looking forward to in the future of your field? Well, I'm really looking forward to that massaging chair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's been something that I've been like, yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, kind of dreaming about for a while. Um, I think I, I feel, um, I just feel excited for there to be more disabled artists, more perspectives and, and to just feel less alone in professional spaces that I'm in. I mean, sometimes I'm in like really disability and access centered spaces. And then sometimes I'm, you know, doing an artist talk or an exhibition where I'm really the only disabled person involved in that. I've been trying to think about how to build collaboration into my practice more. So that happens less because it does a disservice to people who are interacting with my work because my work is connected to the work of so many other people. And so um, I, I want to, um, yeah, try to build that in more. And, and also just for like my own, like, enjoyment and comfort it like is is always great I think also of course like being aware of like my positionality as like a white disabled person as a um disabled person that has like a physical disability which often gets prioritized I also am ambulatory like I can walk and so being aware that like there's lots of things that I I don't know or I don't experience and that like having more disabled artists is going to like expand and enrich the dialogue and um yeah so I'm excited about that that's great I'm also excited about those things <laughs> <laughs> and the massage chair in particular <laughs> the idea of the massage chair. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, thank you so much for um, your time and your words and your thoughts. I really appreciate your perspective and I'm really inspired by your work just in general. And yeah, so I'm so glad I was able to talk with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and yeah. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Constructing Differences podcast. To find out more about this project, visit representationsofdifference.com or at representationsofdifference on Instagram. Special thanks to Jan Deirdridge for helping me through the IRB approval process, Dr. Olwan for provoking my thoughts on solidarity, and Professor Lori Brown for being my mentor on this project and so many others. Finally, thank you to all the participants who agreed to speak with me on Zoom throughout the month of April. Your time, words, and thoughts were greatly appreciated.